good morning, Aldergrove. My name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here at North Langley Community Church, um, and it is my joy to be here with you this morning. Um, as Matthew said, we are doing a series on Jesus and money. If you've been here over the past couple weeks, how many people have caught one of the last two weeks, at least one? Okay. And so you'll know that what we're talking about is how do we see our money like Jesus sees our money. So the name of the series is Jesus and Money, and the tagline is Freedom, Generosity, and Joy. Now, the heart of this is rooted in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. It's this heart of generosity, this heart that is rooted in that what I have is not just for me, but it's to be used for others. Now, how many people were nervous or are nervous about this series? <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Kevin and I. Like the old, the old advice says, in polite company, you don't talk about what? You don't talk about politics, religion, money, or sex. And this week, we're talking about money, religion, and politics. Some of you are like, oh, I'd rather talk about sex. <laughs> but we're nervous with the topic of money. I've heard a number of people say, and if you are new here, you might have heard this or feel this, or experience this, that the church always asks for money. There was a number of people that we heard that were like, I was really nervous about coming to this series or bringing friends to this series because the church has a reputation for always talking about money. And so why are we hesitant? If we want to be apprentices of Jesus, what would it look like if we were like Jesus in every area of our life except our money? Well, that's hypocrisy, it's inconsistency, but yet we're nervous. And I think it's because money is so intimate and so vulnerable that the money in your account, it can be a way for us to measure our worth, our significance, our freedom. It can be a way for us to measure our security, the quality of our future. And so when we talk about money, we aren't just talking dollars and bills. We're talking future, security, worth. So that's vulnerable. That's tricky. And then to talk about it here in a church building, at a church service, with a church person at a church time, you're like, well, the church doesn't have the best track record with money. You can poke someone if you want. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you had a bad experience with church and money? If not a bad experience, have you heard of a bad example? That out there in the world, or maybe in your own experience, you've seen examples where religious people will stand up and we see examples of greed, embezzlement. We see pressuring people who don't have enough to give money they can't afford so that people can buy luxuries and things they don't need. And so we're nervous because it's this intimate, sensitive, significant topic being dealt with in a place, in a context that doesn't have the best track record. 
And so all of us here in the room, myself included, are just hoping I don't say something stupid. Because <laughs> I'm not perfect. I have struggled with the hold of money on my life. When Emily and I lived in Korea, we were two income zero kids, and then we moved to Canada and we were zero income one kid. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I knew the cost per kilometer of a wrong turn. I was gripped with fear. Money had a hold on my life. And so I don't stand here perfect. I stand here as a sinner in need of grace, saying that I have experienced the grace of Jesus. I would invite you into the same. Um, before we do, to the extent that I can, as an imperfect person, I would like to apologize on behalf of the church and for those who speak for the church. Where we have allowed money to grip our heart and lost sight of Jesus. Where you, where, where you have come and what you have not heard is grace, but what you have heard is an ask. Would you forgive? The thing that has weighed so heavily on my, <clears throat> on my heart for this sermon is that would, we would capture the heart of Jesus when it comes to money. That we would see past the dollars and bills and what we would see is the heart of God. So we trust Jesus with so many things. We trust Jesus maybe with our marriage or our health. We trust Jesus with our salvation. So we say, hey Jesus, this whole thing called eternity, I will trust you with it. But when it comes to money, we're like, ah, maybe not. Like Ron Davis said a couple of weeks ago that we are willing to trust Jesus with our salvation, but not our wallet. And, and, and what's more important? Which lasts longer, eternity or a $20 bill? And we trust him with one and not the other. And so we're talking about something sensitive in a place with a spotty track record from a broken person in need of grace. And so would we have grace? Um, just as an aside, on a practical note, North Langley endeavors to be a church that handles well the finances that are donated here. And so not, we're not a perfect church, but I think we're a healthy church. And so I, I talked to Allison Penner, who kind of oversees our finances here, and she told me some of the things we do. That at North Langley, we, we have what's called a division of duties. So one person counts the money, a different person deposits the money, a different person issues checks. So it separates that. Uh, we have a stewardship team, a group of people overseeing the finances of our church. I don't know how much anybody gives. And so the knowledge is, is separate from finances to, to pastoral staff. And every year we have internal and external audits. Uh, the external is done by an independent chartered professional accountant, and the money is spent according to a budget that is presented to and voted on by the congregation. So those are just some practical ways that we as a church endeavor to be good stewards. And so it is with, hopefully, humility that we talk about money. So some of us might be nervous because we've had a bad example or had a bad experience, and others of us might be nervous for a different reason. Now, if you were to close your eyes, if you want, or just not, depends on how well you imagine, just imagine Jesus is in this room, 
And maybe Jesus is walking up and down the aisles. Now, what is it, when we talk about money, what is it that Jesus wants to do? What does Jesus want to do with our money? And what's your answer? Well, I think some of us feel like Jesus is here to rob us. That he's trying to get his fingers into our pockets and just take And I think others of us might be okay with with Jesus getting into our money, but then we're worried that he's going to get it into it, and he's got a kind of a spending control problem, maybe, and he's going to take so much that I'm not going to have enough. And I think that those two fears can be very present here, that, that Jesus is trying to rob us, and once he gets what he wants, I won't have enough. And so what happens is we respond like we're trained. You know, if you go to buy something, what's the little sticker on every gas station, on every point of sale? Like, what's the yellow sticker there? Protect your pin. (laughs) And so if I'm typing in my pin, and I realize there's like however many hundred people here, it's like, you turn, and you put your hand up, and if someone's too close, you're like, a little space, please. We're taught to protect it, to cover it up, because if someone else gets a hold of it, who knows what they're going to do? And so as we're talking about money and Jesus wanders into the room, we, we kind of cover up. We're like, oh, Jesus, you're getting a little close. And we kind of turn. We're like, a little space, please. Because who knows what's going to happen if Jesus gets a hold of our pin? Like, what could happen if he gets a hold of our finances? Well, and I, th- I think we're afraid that he's going to rob us or that we won't have enough once he's done. Now, one thing that I want to talk about this morning is that money is not just an issue of budgeting and spreadsheets and numbers. Money has spiritual power. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, how many people want to get rich? That's me. So I'll be first. I want to get rich. So if you want to get rich, here we go. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You want to get rich? It's a trap. There's temptation. There's things we'll fall for and things we'll pursue because we just want a little more. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, that you can serve one. You can serve God or you can serve money, but you cannot serve both. At some point, one's going to call you a little more this way and one's a little bit more that way. And so what I want to say, Alder Grove, with, with love in my heart, but with the truth of the scripture is that money holds our heart as a spiritual power. We just came out of a series on deliver us from evil. The love of money is an evil that ensnares our hearts. And I'm not so naive to think that it's not here among us. That money can capture our lives and steer us in a direction. And like a boat heading for rocks, nothing good will come of it. 
And so what I want to do is I just want to take a moment and I just want to pray. And would you join me in prayer? And Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, would you now speak by the power of your Spirit and your truth? Would you reveal to us where money has a hold on our life? Where we have been given the choice of God or money and we have chosen money. God, I pray that you would remove the blinders and show us how that is steering our lives into a place where nothing good will happen. And by your grace, Jesus, by your grace, draw us to you. Give us your heart, give us your eyes to see the world as you see it. So God, we just pray in this moment when it comes to money, deliver us from evil. In the name of Jesus, amen. There's the old joke when you're talking about money. Hey, if it's such a problem for you, I'll take it. It's like an alcoholic sitting beside another alcoholic, and one says, I don't think I'm going to finish my drink. I think I'm going to stop drinking. The other one says, I'll drink it. It leads us down a dangerous road. And I want us so badly to capture Jesus' heart. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Fellowship of the Ring. When it came out, I was old enough to drive. And I drove by myself to the cheap movie theater and watched that movie so many times. It was just one or two dollars, but I went again and again and again while it was out. And then every year after that, I took, I had a small group of grade 12 boys, and we went every year it came out. It was like our tradition, but I love The Lord of the Rings. I could probably recite it start to finish. And I think part of the Fellowship of the Ring actually helps us understand Jesus' heart. If you're familiar with the story, there's a fellow named Bilbo, and he has this ring. And this ring is a horcrux that he has to destroy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you're like, what? <laughs> no, it's this ring, but he can do some pretty cool stuff with it. And then in the story, the ring is absolutely evil. So he at one point wants the ring, and he knows he needs to give up the ring. And so Bilbo has this ring. And Gandalf comes, and Gandalf is this kindly wizard. And, and Gandalf is saying, you should give this thing up. It's not going to do any good for you. And so we're actually going to watch the clip. Now, Gandalf gets a little testy here. <laughs> so if you have young kids, if you are easily startled, just like, it's going to be okay. Everything ends well, but it gets a little intense for a moment. But Tamea, can you load up that clip, please? Oh, my business isn't of yours when I do with my own things. I think you've had that ring quite long enough. You want it for yourself. Baggins, do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I am not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. Oh. All your long years, we've been friends. Trust me, as you once did. Mm. Let it go. You're right, Gandalf. 
The ring must go to Frodo. Do we hear Jesus' heart in that? That as we talk about money, it's this feeling where, where we're like, you just want it for yourself. And Jesus says to us, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. And I love that line, all your long years, we've been friends. Trust me in this. Trust me as you trust me in other things. And I think if we can grasp that heart, I'm not trying to rob you, I'm trying to help you. Trust me. Our view on Jesus and money is completely transformed. And we can save ourselves a great deal of pain. Now we are looking at the Bible this morning. And we're taking a look at Luke chapter 20. If you want to open your Bibles, you can. It's Luke chapter 20, verse 20. And we've been going through Luke. We've been looking at what Jesus says about money in the gospel of Luke. And every time we take a look at anything in the Bible, we want to take a look at something called the context. So it's not just an isolated incident, but who is Jesus talking to? What's he talking about? Where is he? What happens before? What happens after? All this stuff is helpful. So we're looking at Luke 20.20, but immediately before this, Jesus tells a story. And the story is about a man who planted a vineyard, and we don't have a ton of vineyards, but we're right near berry fields, so let's say berry fields. A man planted a berry field, and he owns this thing, he planted the thing, and then he goes away and hires some people to work it. Come harvest time, he sends a truck and says, hey, I'd like some strawberries, and the employees say, actually, I bet you we could keep all of these. And so they send the truck away empty. And the owner's like, wait a second, this is my vineyard, these are my berries. Sends another truck and they're like, no, not happening. Truck goes away empty. The owner says, okay, what if I send my son? And the son goes and the people say, I bet you if we kill him, we can keep this thing. And immediately after this story, that's the story Jesus just told, is that a man owns a vineyard that other people are taking care of and the people taking care of it refuse to give the owner what is his is chapter 20, verse 19, and it says, the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest Jesus immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Verse 20, keeping a close watch on him, Jesus, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, Jesus saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well, he said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public and astonished by his answer, they became silent. So this is the word of the Lord. Have you ever played the wedding shoe game? You know, you get the the bride and groom up at the front and, you know, each lift up a shoe and, oh, it's the same, that's funny. Oh, it's different, that's funny. It's like... (laughs) That's, that's the game. And I've had the opportunity 
to run that game a number of times. And it's been delightful. It's like, who's the first to get a speeding ticket? Ha, ha, ha. Who's the first one to, I don't know, wash the dishes? Ha, ha, ha. The question I like to add that nobody has ever asked for is, who's the first person to complain about their mother-in-law? <laughs> now, if you're sitting in the chair and you have a, a bride shoe and a groom shoe, what do you put up? If you're like, me, well, then you're planning to complain about your mother-in-law, and that's no good. And you're like, them, and they're like, well, they're planning to complain about your mother, and that's no good. And so the wisest of couples just don't answer. There's no win in this. It's an only-lose scenario. And that's what these spies did to Jesus. They come to him, and it sounds like a good question, but Rome valued two things above all else, peace and taxes. If you don't start a riot and the taxes keep coming, you can do almost whatever you want. Don't start a riot, don't start a riot, keep the taxes coming. Now for the Jewish people, they believed in one God. And they were currently occupied by a foreign power and they were looking for the Messiah who would come and deliver them from Rome. And so Jesus is stuck here. If he says, yes, we should pay tax, what he's saying is this Roman emperor who doesn't just say he's a political leader, he was called the son of God. So it's like, okay, yes, we should pay taxes. We should support this foreign government. We should pay the money to the man who claims to be the son of God. Well, the Jewish people would say, I don't really believe you're a good teacher anymore. And if he says, no, we shouldn't pay the taxes, well, there were some lovely Roman soldiers just over there who would be happy to arrest him and take care of this whole thing. So, Jesus, who's the first to complain about their mother-in-law? Blasphemy or treason? It's no win. So Jesus, just like the couples in the shoe game, he takes a step back and he doesn't answer. Like he does, but, but he doesn't. And it says, he saw through their duplicity and, and says to them, show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. And we have a picture of almost the exact same coin that Jesus would have likely used. This is a denarius. And on the left-hand side, there's a lady holding a palm branch, and this is a symbol of the peace of Rome. And the peace of Rome was one of the, the key highlights, hallmarks of the Roman emperor, empire. Rather. And written around that, it says, high priest meaning that the ruler of Rome is the high priest of Rome, the source of peace that you enjoy. And on the left, what's written around there is it says, Tiberius Caesar, August son of the divine Augustus. Your ruler and God, source of peace, here is your coin. And Jesus says, well, if you see the man's face on it, it must belong to him. Kind of like the elementary school, it's like, I don't see your name on it. It's like, well, his name's right here. So that coin must clearly have belonged to him. It's interesting because Jews were forbidden from having this kind of an image. It was the second of the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus says, who's got a coin? Jesus is like, well, sorry, I don't have any portable idols. And they're like, I've got one. It's like, oh, you carry the coin of the emperor? Interesting. Let's continue. So it's kind of a gotcha moment for the people trying to catch Jesus. But then he backs it up and he says, if it's got the image, it must belong to them. So whatever belongs to Caesar, give to Caesar. Now, I had someone ask me about five years ago. They said, you know what you should preach on, John? You should preach on giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. 
I'm like, oh, and he was a businessman, and he was wondering, how much tax should I pay? Now, this is the first time I've preached on it since he asked me. And so I have about five years of thinking on this. <laughs> so I'll give you the best that I have. And this is probably my least favorite part of this sermon. Should we pay taxes? Yes. We should. And for a few reasons. Number one, if, if what we have belongs to Caesar, then it's not ours. So if it's not ours, then yes, we should give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. It's not ours, we're just returning it. So that's one. Number two, I think we should follow the laws of the land. If we all stopped paying taxes and then that came to light, would that make Jesus look good or not so good when it hit the news? I think not so good. And so we should follow the laws of the land so that Jesus looks good. And thirdly, I, this morning, drank water, used electricity, and drove on roads provided by the government. If I'm willing to use the things, I should pay for them. So should we pay taxes? I would say yes. Now, how much should we pay? That's a different question. For me, the amount I like to pay is as little as I can, as much as I must, and everyone else needs to pay their fair share too. And probably we're all like, yep, as little as I can, as much as I must, and everyone else pays their fair share. In Romans 13, 5, it actually says this, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, tax evasion, but also as a matter of conscience. That is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. And if you're like, yeah, but have you seen the job they're doing? And you're like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can pay taxes to the government if they're going to do this, that, and the other. Well, I think part of it is we receive the services provided by the government. So if we aren't willing to pay taxes, I think we should remove ourselves from the services as well. Secondly, if we're like, wow, the, pot, the potholes on the roads aren't getting fixed. So I'm not going to pay my taxes until the potholes are fixed. Well, if we all did that, there'd be no money to fix potholes. Secondly, if you are standing on principle on pothole fixing, are you taking the money you're not paying and investing it in pothole repair? Or are you spending it on yourself? In which case, I think it's not a true stand on principle. And thirdly, if our government doesn't necessarily fix the potholes as quickly as we'd like, if our waits for healthcare are longer than we would prefer, if our politicians aren't perfect and our government not always a model of righteousness, well, Jesus' government at the time was no different. Do you know what a Roman candle is? A Roman candle is what we call a firework, but the name comes from the Roman emperors who would take Christians and pardon the graphicness of them, would use them for lanterns at their parties. That was a Roman candle. The Colosseum is where Christians would be fed to the lions. The Roman Empire demanded emperor worship. So far, we're still at least a full step below that. And so if Jesus is talking about that kind of government and paying taxes, then I think we're okay. And there may come a time where paying taxes is contrary to the gospel, but I don't know if we're there yet. And so, as far as I know, should we pay taxes? Yes. How much should we pay? We should follow the laws. We should pay what we should. And I think everyone should pay something. And that's as far as I can get.
So I'm really sorry I can't get any further. But yes, I do think we should. Jesus says if you can see his picture, then it belongs to him. And it's interesting that Jesus uses that image of, or sorry, language of image. Image of the emperor belongs to the emperor. But then what's his next statement? If it belongs to God, well, then it's God's. Where do we see God's image? Us. If you go back to creation, it says, in the image of God, humanity was created. And so Jesus, I think in a sense, he's saying, okay, you're worried about dollars and cents, papers and coins? For sure, send it to the emperor. You bear God's image, therefore you belong to God. So he can have the coins and bills, God gets you. Do you know what else belongs to God? Well, Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the emperor, for sure, coins and bills. God, everyone and everything. Okay, so I think we've divvied that up well enough. If it belongs to God, you give it to God's. Now that's really, really big. How do you give to God? Like, do you write a check paid to the order of God? You're like, well, if God wants to cash it, he can. (laughs) So how do we do this? What does this look like? What does it mean for us to give everything we have to God? Well, in Colossians, it talks about how whatever we do can be an act of worship, but we're going to drill it down just a little bit further. And one of my favorite verses, and we've talked about this before, is Galatians 2.20. And it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it means I died, and what you see here is a Jesus echo of John. And you're like, well, that's still really big. What does it mean that the whole life I live, I live by faith? Well, let's replace it with three words. Spending, saving, and giving. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer spend. But Christ spends in me. The spending I now spend in the body, I spend by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, what does it look like in our finances to spend like Christ is spending in me? There's a quote from Randy Alcorn, and it says, Many who say I have nothing to give spend large amounts of discretionary income on cars, clothes, coffee, entertainment, phones, computers, and so on. They have nothing to give when they're done spending precisely because they're never done spending. Then when they run out of money, they think it's because they didn't have enough. So when we talk about our spending, how much do we spend? I just want to take a break. I'm not saying that for for people who, once you pay your rent and buy your groceries, you're about done for the month, and sometimes you have to choose between the two. I'm not talking about that. The discussion of how do you give when you don't have enough, Pastor Kevin's going to be preaching on that next week. As the widow gives her small amount to the temple. And so I want to recognize that that's a a specific question that Pastor Kevin will talk about next week. So we're not talking about that kind of spending. But we're talking about the kind of spending I spend on me that I could always spend a little bit more. I love spending on myself. I do. 
I'm one of the favorite people I like to buy for. <laughs> I know just what I want. <laughs> but if I spend always all of my money on my interests, well, my whole life is curving in on me. And we aren't called as, if you remember the sermon from two weeks ago, Ron Davis, his, his key point is that we are stewards. Nothing of what we have belongs to us. We're called to be faithful. And so if I'm the only person I've ever spent my money on, then I'm missing the point. And so how much do I spend on me? Secondly, how do I spend? For me, I love a good deal. I love free delivery, quick delivery, lots of choice and a cheap price. And so I found that I started to shop online, and my online retailer would bring me the things I wanted for a good price, sometimes same day, sometimes next day. But then I started to kind of think about the fact that this was so cheap and so fast because this company has a reputation for treating its employees poorly. So someone was paid poorly and pressured hard to get me my thing here on time. I'm like, okay, Am I using my money in a way that looks like Jesus? When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, how I spend my money impacts what happens in the world. And so if I support a company that treats its employees poorly, I'm helping that kingdom to grow. And so I've tried to go slow and go local, and it takes way longer, and it costs more. But maybe it's worth it. Maybe it matters how we spend. There's a chocolate bar I really like. And that company has admitted to and is known for using literal slaves in the world. Now, I would consider myself an anti-slavery person. But if I continue to enjoy this chocolate bar, am I saying I'm against slavery or am I saying that I don't like to see slaves producing my chocolate? And so I'm like, okay, is this going to impact where I buy my things? How much of my things I buy and which companies I support? And maybe I will never have that chocolate bar again, but is that okay if that chocolate bar is produced by slaves? How do we spend? Are we spending in a way that looks like Christ, that honors Christ, that's less on ourselves? I no longer spend, but Christ spends in me. Secondly, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer save, but Christ saves in me. The saving I now save in the body, I save by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, saving is good. We save for a home, we save for retirement, we save for a rainy day. Saving can keep us from having to borrow money. Borrowing money leads to paying interest to the bank. More money for the bank means less money for us to do other things. So saving's not bad, but two questions. How do we save and why do we save? Do I save money, trusting money to take care of me? Does this money become a little idol in my house and it's my, if I have one problem, this money will save me and when the money is gone, then I trust God? Are we saving to replace a trust in God? Are we saving simply so that we can have more for ourselves? If you aren't retired yet, what's the goal of a retirement? How much do you want to work? None. I want to work none. So the goal of retirement as we spend our money is not just I want all my money to be for me, but I actually want all of my time to be for me too. My money. My time. 
And if that's the goal of our retirement, I think we've missed the point. That my money isn't just for me, and if I'm saving for me, and if I'm saving to buy time that I spend only on me, we've missed the point. And so how do we save, why do we save, and where do we save? Are we saving in ethical funds, for example, if you have any investments? And I have to admit, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how ethical my investments are with my RRSPs and whatnot. But does it matter? Are we building and propagating a kingdom by how we spend our money and save our money? I think the answer is yes. Thirdly, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer give, but Christ gives in me. The giving I now give in the body, I give by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you're like, well, here we go. Here comes the ask. First of all, I just want to say that North Langley isn't trying to hit a financial goal with this series. So it's not like we're trying to hit some number that isn't yet publicized. I'm in a bit of a catch-22 as I talk about giving. Because if I stand up here, and Emily, Ezra, and I were talking about this, if I stand up here and I say, these are all the ways that we do this, you're like, well, fancy pants pastor, look at that. <laughs> and if I say nothing about it, you're like, well, does he even do it? And so what do I do? Do I unpack it or ignore it? Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that the hold of money on my life has been loosened through generosity, and I have seen God's faithfulness again and again and again and again. I have experienced freedom and joy through generosity as money has lost its grip on my life. And I would love to see the same for you. I don't get a raise if this series goes really well. <laughs> but Scripture tells me what I have to say right now. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Don't just be rich in your wallet. Be rich in good deeds, in generosity. Now, Tamea, there's a, a second Lord of the Rings quote here. Just as we wrap up. Bilbo's getting ready to go on a journey. And we're just going to walk, watch him walk out the door here. Tamea, can you play that clip, please? It's late. The road is long. Yes, it is time. Bilbo. Hmm? The ring is still in your pocket. Have Yes. Aldergrove, the ring is still in our pockets. We can have a beautiful moment of saying, I trust Jesus. I trust him so much. Well, how many dollars do you trust Jesus? Like, what does it look like for us to move from the idea of trusting Jesus for it to actually impact our wallets? So a couple questions as we close this morning. I'm going to invite the band up. 
Number one, does money have a hold on your life? And if for you, money makes you feel secure, it's what gets you up in the morning, it's what drives you to work late, I would say maybe money has a spiritual hold on your life. It's not an issue of budgeting and dollars and cents. This is a spiritual issue. And if that's the case, we would love to pray with you that Jesus wants to offer freedom. We have a prayer team at the front here and in the back. If money has a hold on your life, we would love to pray with you that you would experience freedom. Secondly, do you need to have a conversation with Caesar about what belongs to Caesar? In 1987, four million kids disappeared in the USA overnight because that was the year that the IRS required parents to write down the social security number of children being claimed on the income tax. And four million children just disappeared because they weren't real. And people were falsely making claims on their income tax so that they could pay less tax. Do we need to have a conversation with Caesar about what belongs to Caesar? Thirdly, are we spending, saving, and giving not as ourselves, but as Christ? That maybe we can simplify what we spend on, we can defer expenses for ourselves, live within our means where that's an option, but in all of this that we would seek the kingdom of God in our money. That we would save not because money will take care of us, but because God will take care of us. And we give because it was never ours in the first place. See, God isn't trying to rob us. He's trying to help us. And if we can loosen our hold on our money, we will experience such freedom, such joy, and such generosity. Would you stand? And we'll close in prayer. So Jesus, we just ask that you would help us to see where money has a hold on our lives. If we are taking from Caesar what belongs to Caesar, I pray you would point it out and, and give us the wisdom and the courage to make it right. And God, as we spend and we save and we give, that we would not see it as mine for me, but God, it's all yours anyways. So just lead us how to do what you've called us to do. We pray this in your name. Amen.